11 players unavailable, COVID in the camp and no fans to cheer them on. But as the second half of the championship season starts, Norwich City are eight points clear of third place and 14 clear of seventh. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm Dave Freezer here to review the game with Connor Southwell and Paddy Dabbit as ever. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And fellas, it's not half bad position to be in, is it, Pad? Uh, winning 2-1 away at Cardiff. Their away results have been so strong this season, but this uh, this had a real satisfying edge to it, didn't it? Did it ever, mate, yeah. Um, game of two halves, really, wasn't it? The first half, as comprehensive as, as the 45ers I've seen from him in terms of their control, allied to, I thought Cardiff made it too easy for them, epitomised by the, the second goal, um, far too open, far too easy for Norris to play through. But despite that, they, they absolutely made the most of it. And we'll get into it in due course, but given the scale of call-offs and the types of call-offs and the, particularly the Team Ipuki call-off, um, it, you know, you started to run out of a little bit of superlatives because it was a phenomenal performance in that first hour or so, given the backdrop of a very, very difficult week. And, and Daniel went into a bit more depth on that in his post-match. You know, you've got players on Friday afternoon awaiting test results for coronavirus and, it's hard to focus on uh, the business of going to Cardiff and getting three points, which would have been tough anyway because of the nature of how Neil Harris sets about the task. And um, in that context, yeah, not the first time we've seen that that kind of gene really where, you know, you feel, well, this might be beyond them today for all those reasons and yet they find a way. But, um, you know, I'm still very surprised that we're, you know, we're still seeing this level of, resistance almost to adversity from Norwich. It, it, it's a testament to Farker, his coaches and those players, really. Um, because after that hour mark, Cardiff can get back into it. They get a goal. Um, and clearly, Neil Harrison got into them, I think, at half-time. And then it became a, a complete grind and reminded me a lot of the Stoke City game before Christmas where Tim Krull got injured in the first half there. Michael McGovern came on. They looked to be cruising. Puki scored early in the second half up, up in uh, Britannia or Bet365, as it's probably called now. And uh, thereafter, it was almost um, a clinging on job. And it wasn't to that degree, I didn't think, yesterday. Uh, I, I thought Barden didn't really need to do too much in terms of shot stopping. But there was a lot of pressure. And of course, they throw on the big lad key for more and go very aerial, uh, very direct, even more so than, than they had prior to. Um, and then it's a test of character. It's okay, you were cruising. Now, this team have responded, what have you got? And, um, you know, they could have added a third, they had a few chances on the counter, didn't they, Poeta particularly, but but they did what they more often than not have done this season, which is dug in when they had to, um, and when the wind's in their faces rather than at their backs, and they found a way again. And, you know, 50 points, 24 games on the board, it's not been done before by a Norwich team. That's probably where we leave it. This hasn't been done by a Norwich team before. Yeah, quite literally, they are in a fantastic position. 50 points, Connor, at this stage. I mean, I, I tweeted about this after the game, didn't I? But the 20 league games since they lost to Derby, since, as you pointed out to us during the week, we, we saw that the last goal of Wayne Rooney's career, didn't we, before he, he's retired as a player. And um, they, yeah, of that 20 games, they won 14, drawn four, lost two. It's, it's remarkable form, really, isn't it? 
It's it's promotion winning form, isn't it? It's as simple as that, really. And, and I think um, I, I read last night that they're the first team in in any of the leagues to get fifty points, which again is is some achievement just after the halfway stage. Um, at least we can definitively say that they're going to stay up now. I think that's the number, apart from <laughs> yeah. one year when Peterborough went down, didn't they? Yeah. Fifty two or something. But um, so so that's one hurdle jump. But yeah, as, as Pad touched upon, considering maybe towards the back end of last year after Project Restart, there were a lot of comments thrown maybe about the character of the squad and maybe how they didn't have that resilience and, and that guile to some extent to to go away from home and win matches in maybe a bit of a gritty way, which they needed to do second half. I think they're, they're showing that um, this season and whether it's the churn in the squad, whether it's the new characters, whether it's a, a togetherness being formed, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but there's a, a real resilience a real quality about this group and um, regardless of how many hurdles seem to be put in front of them in terms of adversities they they continue to clear them and not only clear them but clear them with a flourish as well I mean that that goal uh, Todd Campbell's goal the second goal was um, was beautifully crafted and maybe is is kind of what we'd associate from two years ago in terms of the style of football but it hasn't been maybe as pretty as it was two years ago but it's certainly I think been more effective and more resilient and um, that's a testament to to how they've dealt with this relegation and, and the type of characters they've brought in. I'm sure we'll talk about Jordan Hugel in more depth, but Ben Gibson as well. These are, are really good characters that have added something to the group and, and added to their mentality, maybe rather than their quality, because I don't think the quality was ever in, in doubt um, after the title win. It was it was maybe more the mentality of, of the Premier League and stepping up. And if there's one thing you can say about this group at the moment, it's that they look like a Premier League team playing in the Championship every weekend. And, and that kind of is the highest praise that you can give them because um, regardless of, as I said, the, the hurdles and the blocks that have been put through them, they're, they're smashing through them and, and they're doing it with style. So um, I think there's a lot of people that deserve credit. I think they'll they'll equally want to, to keep going and keep going with consistency. But um, yeah, you, you have to give them the highest praise. I mean, there's no superlatives now. I don't think that, as, as Pad said, that we can put on it because this is um, sort of uncharted waters in terms of a Norwich City side now, in terms of points haul, in terms of form as well. And um, it's very difficult now at this stage, obviously no crystal balls, can't see in the future, but it's very difficult at this stage to see a situation where um, over the second half of the season, they lose too many games. And that, that's a real credit, whether it's home or away. And um, I kind of looked at this sort of next six, starting with Cardiff and on paper, they look a bit tricky and you thought maybe this will be the, the sort of dip that they have to ride through. But um, I think they've got the character to to win games in the championship and, and, and win them in different types of ways. Um, this game was completely different to maybe the Cardiff home game where they had a bit more style about them, certainly in the second half, but um, lots of praise, lots of credit. And in terms of points, I think it, it reflects how good they've been this season for me. Yeah, the first half, certainly I'd agree with you. I was thinking this feels like an FA Cup game where it's a Premier League team against a, a lower league team. But uh, yeah, Grant Handley getting it going in the third minute. His first league goal for nearly two and a half years. City's first headed goal from a corner since the Manchester City game in September 2019 when when Kenny McLean, uh, of course, powered in at, at the near post. So lots of nice little uh, facts and figures in there. Um, I, I should just say at, at the top of the pod, we opted not to go this weekend. Um, just I won't go into it too much if you want a bit more detail on it. I, I talked about it a bit on my video verdict, which is on the Pink and YouTube channel and on our 
uh, websites but essentially with everything that's going on at the moment we had a good chat about it and decided that this game and probably the Swansea game we would uh, just cover via the iFollow stream as as you guys have to watch the games at the moment um, not an easy decision of course we we would much much rather be there and of course we'd much much rather there were fans in the stadium but we, we live in strange times don't we so just uh uh, for these very long trips at the moment, we decided that uh, it's probably best to, to, to cover things from home. Uh, let's just, uh, I'm just going to fly through all the players who were missing. I think it's 11 that they were missing for the game. Um, Tim Krull and Adam Eder, we already knew, had had positive COVID tests, so they were finishing their isolation periods. You've probably seen Tim put something on social just before the game, playing in the snow with his little girl back at, at their home in Norfolk. So it sounds like he, it, well, certainly he's in contention for the Bristol City game on Wednesday night, but we'll have to see if he's okay. Um, Javi Kintir and Bali Mumba both tested positive, so are both out and presumably are going to be out for the two games coming up this week as well. Uh, Josh Martin and Lucas Rupp had flu-like symptoms, but tested negative for COVID, for COVID so they weren't involved. Marcus Steepman is still battling. Uh, it's it's a virus that they've pinned it down to now. So he's st still got a bit of work to get back to full health. Uh, Timmy Pookie pulled out late with a side strain, although hopefully only minor. Christoph Zimmerman came off at half time of the uh, game against Coventry with a hip injury. So he missed the Cardiff game. And then you've also got Sam Byram working his way back, hoping to be back in full training this month after nearly a year out injured. And of course, Michael McGovern, who we're expecting to miss most of the rest of the season after his hamstring injury so pad the players that came in um daniel barden's first league start and as, as you say he didn't have uh loads to do but what he, what he had to do he did well enough cleanly shaven as well uh <laughs> looking a little bit more intimidating for a 20 year old he, uh, skinhead thanks to a certain mr jordan hugill who persuaded him to let him get the clippers out ahead of the game and and uh, lose the screech curls that we talked about last week. So, Jordan, what what did you make of his performance, Pad, up front? Um, keeping the starting position with Pookie dropping out. He obviously played in the in the Coventry game, in the FA Cup, didn't he? And particularly that first half, I'd probably say was his best forty five minutes at a Norwich show, wasn't it? Best overall for me. Yeah, um, he's no team with Pookie. We know that. We've talked at length about that. Um, uh, but I thought there was more signs that um, maybe not with the same polish, but outside the box, I, th I thought he linked up a little bit better than we've seen from him, whether that's just him getting to the point where he now understands what the requirements are, what the demands are. Okay, not asking him to, to radically alter his game because he is still going to be the width of the penalty area and getting good service into it. That's his strength. That's what he's built his career on. That's how he got himself a move to the Premier League, albeit it didn't really work out from the West Ham. Um but if it, but and we've seen this with Farker, with young players, and maybe with with older players. Alex Tete springs to mind that you know you're never too old to stop learning and adding elements to your game and, and refining what you, what you're good at, but maybe working on elements that you're not. Um, and I thought I thought he was good. I thought he harried. I mean, they had they had a bit of an emergency centre back in Joe Bennett because the lad Morrison was out, um, so maybe that went in his favour a little bit. But I thought he worked over their centre backs. Heavily involved in the in the in the end part of the the second match winning goal as it was his shot was parried. Um, I think I wrote my point as he, he probably needs to knock uh, the handball uh, off the agenda because uh, that was a bit of a worrying moment when he dropped on the ball trying to win a free kick in stoppage time and the referee done him for handball and allowed them to load it into the box but uh, thankfully it didn't come to anything. But other than that, um, that for me was a, probably a step forward and. Uh, it, it, it reinforced, I mean, obviously Daniel's talked in very glowing terms about him after the game and his impact and just his character around the place, which we knew anyway. But I think 
most fans probably would have liked would like to start seeing a little bit more from him in terms of what he can bring on the pitch rather than off the pitch or in the changing room. And in the last two games now, he started both. He scored against Coventry and uh, he was very good yesterday. Um, and hopefully Pookie is back for midweek. But if not, I think a li- little bit like a keeper situation to a degree, the lads were coming in now are showing that they can produce a consistency of performance to keep the wagon moving forward. And, uh, and that's what you want from your squad players. It isn't going to be, certainly this season of all seasons, with the concertina nature of the fixture list. But then, the, the, in, as increasingly it is now, and Daniel talked about this on Friday, players missing games through positive corona tests. The, the, the pressure that's bearing down on squads is immense uh, um, um, to a degree where it's never been experienced before. And in that context, you need John Hugo to step in when Timu's ruled out very close to kickoff. You need Daniel Barden to step up as he has done. Kenny McLean, the way he's come back in, in terms of when he got an opportunity when Lucas Rupp had to dip out. Um, you know, that's probably when the dust settles and Norwich are back where we all think they're going to be, that's probably going to be one of the key pillars that this was built on, that when they had these prolonged periods where their frontline options were not available, the depth of the squad was good enough, whether it was young players like Barden or older players like... Uh, Hugo, uh, that was good enough to to come in and be more than adequate replacements, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good for the lad as well because I'm sure there's been no outward signs of frustration, but you can imagine he's left the Premier League, left West Ham. He would have expected to come and play more times in the Championship, albeit he knew Pookie was the main man here, and and really until this last week, ten days, it's been essentially a watching brief and and a couple of minutes at the end of games. So it's good for him as well. It's good for his confidence makes him feel, I'm sure, even more part of it. He's actually contributing on the pitch as well as, you know, what he is. is a very good influence around the pitch and obviously a half-decent barber into the bargain as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, taking that title off Grant Hanley. But uh, although Hanley said after the game that he could have done a better job. So <laughs> he's, he's still got competition, uh, who, of course, did Pookies uh, during the uh, promotion celebrations. Um, if you want more on Hugh Gill, I, I did him for our player watch this weekend. So picking.com is the place for that. Had a had a good look at his situation. But yeah, clearly a much more physical presence. And I, th- I think if they were playing a more direct physical side than Bristol City in midweek, uh, it would probably be you'd be quite happy for him to start again and, and Pukie just be kept in, in reserve. But given how well Pukie played at Ashton Gate and and how well Norwich's style did against Bristol City, um, I, I would have thought that, that Pukie would be coming straight back in. Um, but Connor, a, a goal from a corner, a headed goal from a corner. I mean, we've had to wait a good old while for that, haven't we? <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't quite believe my eyes actually when uh, when that was flicked across goal and Grant Handy was there. I mean, he's how many times have we sat there in the last yeah. probably 10, 15 games and he, he seems to have one opportunity a game, doesn't he? Which is really clear cut and he can't quite get it on target. Um, this one he couldn't miss and it, it kind of looked like certainly from from the the sort of vantage point that we had at home watching on the iFollow that maybe that spare time this week has been used working on set pieces and the effectiveness because there were a lot of um, near post back post runs and, and maybe trying to get more flick ons than um, going direct from goal. Kenny McLean went close as well, didn't he? I think in the first half. So mm-hmm. if, if that's a, an area of their game they can polish, then it's, it's very difficult to um, sort of pin down an area from a, from an offensive perspective that, 
that teams are going to be able to stop them because once you add that to your arsenal, um, you, you're going to start scoring goals. And when they have got the likes of Grant Hanley, who who is so dominant airily, he is someone that does need to chip in with more goals. And the fact is, his first one since what August 2018, I think, against West Brom, probably speaks volumes in in terms of maybe that's an area of the game they haven't quite utilised and. We've seen McLean airily and we know how dominant he is. Ben Gibson as well, you'd throw into the mix. So these are opportunities that they need to be making more of. And it, it does feel like over, over the last week on the evidence of yesterday that it's, it's an area that they've worked on. I know Daniel had a comment and, about it or a question about it rather in his press conference on on Friday and, and he was kind of content with, with um, what they were doing and, and praised his coaching staff. And they've certainly looked a, a lot more solid defensively from set of pieces on the whole this season. Um, it's just been the offensive side to it and, and maybe utilising that a bit more. And it was good to see them do that yesterday. It wasn't just the goal. They had a, a few more opportunities, like I said, McLean. Um, there was a, another one that went close, but my, my memory's um, failing at this moment in time. So it, really good, really good to see. You just hope now that they can back it up with a few more in the weeks to come because um, that is a, a really good uh, offensive tool. And uh, maybe... Um, sort of in contrast how Daniel Farker likes the game to be played in terms of on the floor and and whatnot. But they've got some really, I mean, even Jordan Hugo, who we've just discussed, you, you chuck him into the mix as well. So they've got some really good options in there. Um, it may be not be, might not be completely natural or, or not completely a strong point compared to other teams because as Daniel has referenced in the past, when you play with technicians, they tend to be smaller and maybe slightly less physical. So you have to get the balance right as well. Um, but good to see. And, and, good quality deliveries as well, which made a difference as well. So um, good all round, but but let's hope he can get a few more because I think Grant Hanley himself, um, I don't know if he spoke about this yesterday, but probably will, if you are, if you caught him in a quiet moment, would probably express his, his disappointment at not getting a few more efforts on target and um, making a bit more of him, uh, a nuisance for himself from set pieces because we've seen week in, week out when he plays against strikers like Kiefer Moore, who are six foot five every week, he, he can be dominant in the air. So we need to see that at the other end of the pitch now on a, on a consistent basis. Yeah, he did. He joked he needed a tap in because he kept missing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's him, isn't it? In a nutshell, yeah. typical Scottish wit. Yeah. Um, I'll just bounce back to you quickly, uh, Connor. You mentioned Brancic obviously flicks it on uh, third assist of the season for him. He's also got three goals. Um, he has seen that clearly Dowell is is his sort of competition and uh, and threat to him being in the starting eleven almost, isn't he? And it's it's an interesting point of his career at his age. You know, he's in the last six months of his contract. He's he's spoken about he's already got options elsewhere if if he wants to leave or whatever happens at the end of the season. But he sort of goes under the radar a bit, Vrancic, because really when you look at it across these two, maybe even. All three seasons that he's played in the championship, he's pretty much too good for most teams at this level, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is, and and I think actually his his influence as a number ten in some games this season has has maybe been missed slightly because I think when he does come off the bench and he does inject that sort of dynamite and that punch that you need in in maybe the latter stages of games and they lead directly to goal contributions, maybe it's a bit more noticeable. But you're right, some of the passes he plays and it's not even anything that would, would get on a show reel, but sometimes just nice sort of reverse passes out wide to, to Max Aaron's and he, he combines the play really well. And even for the, the second goal, his pass to Kenny McLean, beautifully weighted in front of him, lets McLean run onto it and, and pushes Norwich up the pitch. And, and that 
small details like that are absolutely essential to how they play. And and he's also intelligent enough to recognise when he needs to drop a little bit deeper to maybe provide the space to Kenny McLean and uh, oh to to talk out Malenemi Buendia rather. So um, yeah, I think he's he, he's maybe gone under the radar a little bit as a, as a number ten. That's not to say I, I think he's looked completely comfortable there all season because I don't think he has. But um, yeah, particularly as you referenced, six months to go of his contract, he's now open to to talk to clubs from abroad, isn't he? Um, to 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 sign a pre-contract agreement should he wish. Um, and, and he's already said he's got options. So I think that's that's an interesting subplot to the second half of the season, if he can find a rhythm and he can find a way. But for me, that 10 position is the one that really still feels like it's up for up for grabs for any reference Kieran Dow, even Kenny McLean, I chuck into that mix, who again yesterday was 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 very good, particularly in the first half, maybe faded a little bit in the second. But um the energy that he provides, for me it was it was kind of why they got Hugo in the game a bit more because he, he did have more support and more bodies around him and that was because of Francic as well. So um it is up for grabs. Kieran Dow coming back may change it. But yeah, I think he does deserve credit because even even at, at 31, he's proven to be a, a really key asset in this league and, um, and and doesn't look out of place when he starts games, which has maybe been the criticism that some people have thrown at him, that he has kind of been cast in that super sub role. But um, very quietly, very under the radar, he's um, going about his business, but um, he's doing it very well for me. Yeah, um, and Dow back on the bench as well, which is good to see. Um, obviously, he had to go and have that just a very minor operation, get a screw out of his ankle because he was getting some pain from it rubbing. Uh, that was ahead of the uh, FA Cup game against Coventry. So he ended up not missing much time at all back on the bench. And you would have thought that um, it would potentially be in line for a start against Barnsley in the fourth round uh, next Saturday. Um, now, I'll, I'll just part Todd Cantwell just for a second because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of praise that we're going to fire his way we'll sort of close out the first half of the pod with that um but pat i wanted to uh, come to you on goal celebrations because you um farker had talked about it ahead of the game hadn't he and it's sort of a kind of the hot topic in, in football at the moment isn't it i'm sure everybody's seen james madison's very good uh celebration for leicester and you know a lot of people accusing the government of just trying to use football to deflect away from from their own problems and things like that but i thought farker's take on the situation w- was quite interesting 100% agree with him. I find it a little bit ridiculous that it's become such an issue to the extent it has when you've got players in defensive walls. There's no social distancing going on there. You've got players marking on set pieces. Where's the social distancing there? You know, um, Farker even went to talk about travelling to games. You can you can try and put protocols in place, but they're all probably going to be in, in close proximity when they travel to games. And Travelling into changing rooms, and we've seen it's a very varied mix in terms of certainly away from Car Road, some of the places where they're having to get changed. And you know, Stoke memorably, didn't they put them in sort of sort of tent outside, which Neil Warnock absolutely <laughs> blasted them for in terms of the poorness of the facilities. So his point was essentially that okay, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect to see mass celebrations or you know, outpourings of the technical area and the coaching staff and the backroom players all pouring onto pit. He didn't, he didn't expect to see that. But, you know, how how much uh, is monitoring goal celebrations dealing with when you've got all these other issues involved with on the pitch and off the pitch? And I didn't tend to agree with him, really. But, yeah, and I mean, I guess it's anything that is a step in the right direction. It's probably more with the goal celebrations while they're focused on that, particularly the government and the Premier League chief exec followed up on Friday and made a direct appeal. It's probably because it's the most visible representation of, you know, uh, an industry which you know is very privileged to be continuing in these very difficult times and and to, to be 
seeing scenes of, you know, 10, 12 players embracing and hugging is not a good look, is it, in terms of... Uh, but the, the, the medical public health aspect of it, I think Farker spot on. I think if you're, you're going to focus on goal celebrations and exclude all those other aspects, then it's probably missing the point. So it's probably more a, a PR point as to why we, we suddenly were discussing about goal celebrations before the game at the weekend. But... Um, yeah, no, I'm just trying to think. I mean, Norwich's were fairly muted, wasn't they? I think Campbell, the players did come and celebrate with him in terms of on an individual basis. But, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't some of the scenes we saw uh, two years ago when, you know, Mario Vrancic against Sheffield Wednesday and you've got the kit man running down the touchline and piling into uh, big, you know, huddles. We're not going to see that anytime soon. So, yeah, 100% with Farker on that one. And if anybody hasn't seen what he said, pinken.com, you'll be able to find that story there uh, just before the weekend. Yeah, an interesting one, but um, they are in a bubble, aren't they? They they essentially need to protect their bubble as a whole because if anyone gets it, as we've seen within their bubble, then they've got problems. Five members of the coaching staff or backroom staff um, weren't able to be at Cardiff with them, were they, because of COVID and things like that. But anyway, we don't want to talk about those things as much as uh, any more than we, we have to. Um, just before we come on to Todd, I just wanted to confirm... Um, there's been a few fixture changes, haven't they? So Bristol City is at home on Wednesday night. That's on Sky, six o'clock kickoff. Then away to Barnsley, which is the FA Cup fourth round draw, which is next Saturday. That's still three o'clock and is being shown by BT Sport on one of their extra channels. Again, I think it's extra five or something. Uh, then they've got a week break in before uh, Middlesbrough at home, which is a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday, January the 30th. That is also on Sky. And then the Millwall game has been rearranged for the midweek after that, which is Tuesday, February 2nd. And then they go away to Swansea uh, on the Saturday. So that's that's a tough what, what, seven, eight days there. Middlesbrough home, Millwall and Swansea away. Um, so, yes, that's going to be interesting. But let's finish part one of the pod, Connor, if you kick us off with uh, just a bit of appreciation for Todd Campwell. I think we have given him a, a fair bit in recent weeks. Maybe he's been a little bit up and down at times, but he, he was excellent yesterday, wasn't he? Oh, he's like a man possessed, wasn't he? And it's it's a cliche to to say that you know a player covered every bra- uh, blade of grass, but I, I think he he must have been pretty close. Uh, so much energy, so much quality, and like you say, well, there is an inconsistency to to his game at the moment. I think he'd recognise that. But when he's on it, like he was yesterday, um, you you can see why. Uh, how, how or why he's so highly rated because the quality's there, and if he could get a consistency if he could perform at that level on um, a regular basis then we'd be talking about him in the same way we've we've spoken about Emi Buendia for the last month or, or two months or whatever because there's there's so much quality there um, and he's, he's had to deal with setbacks this season and, and maybe had to do a little bit of growing up in terms of um, his circumstances and everything that happened obviously prior to the Bournemouth game and leading up to that and then he got an injury so it's been a, a little bit stop start which which maybe the root of the inconsistency, but um, it kind of does feel slowly, but surely he's beginning to find his rhythm a little bit. And um, when him and Buendia are on it, or if one's on it, then often that's usually enough for Norwich City to, to win and, and look very slick offensively. And, and and he really brought that yesterday. And it wasn't just the, the work on the ball, which was very good. There was a, a moment in the first half, I think it was from a corner um, where Cardiff went to, went to, counter and he charged back won the ball back and 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 got Norwich back in possession and they're the elements of his game that he needs to he needs to work on it's not 
the the technical side because in many respects there's not much more you can you can coach and and, and teach it's the stuff off the ball it's the positioning it's the the, um, the application the work rate and um, I think we're beginning to see that a bit more now and I know he, he spoke to you didn't he Dave a, a few weeks ago after a game and spoke about the year in a whole and maybe his, how he's learned to be grateful for things and I think that's coming across on on the pitch actually there's a there's a, a humility about it. not that there wasn't necessarily beforehand but more so now and um, it, it feels like he is really buying into this idea of being part of a team and, and he, he looks happy again, which is good to see. Um, so a really good performance. And, and look, for all of the talk that's that's gone on sort of like mainly over the summer, um, if he continues to perform like that, then regardless of what he said or what he's written, um, he will find himself in, in the Premier League at a, at a very big club in the, in the same way that we've spoken about Emi Buendia. It's just about that consistency now because, um, and I think this is partly why Norwich fans have high standards of him because they know that there's performances like that in him um, and it's just about extracting them on a regular basis and um, if he can keep doing that he's going to be a pivotal player to have in the second half of the season um, so let's let's hope that we we see more of that Todd Campwell uh, because that's the one that, that I think everyone at the club supporters we everyone wants to see really um, because when he plays like that he's he's pretty unplayable to be honest. Yeah, there's a phrase where, isn't there, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. And I think that, well, A, it sounds like something Todd would put on Instagram. <laughs> but B, um, it, it is true in his case because he was like the Duracell bunny at Cardiff, wasn't he? And if he continues to work that hard, the football world is his oyster, really. And he's got every chance of getting back into the England under-21 squad for the Euros, which are, well, the, the group stages are in March, aren't they? And they've potentially got three games, which, you know, you'd have thought Skip and Aaron's will will be there. And there's a good chance if Todd keeps playing like this, he'll get his, his place back. And, and Pat, it's also worth mentioning, I just don't think we've mentioned that... Um, Wendia uh, was sort of uh, flu symptoms as well, wasn't he? So that's maybe why he wasn't quite on his game. But I think the thing with Todd as well is when you think back to the season, that um, the title winning season, when he came into it and got quite a bit of flack when he came in for Wendia, didn't he? Uh, when, when he was, after he got that red card, um, we then saw that the Premier League sort of suited his rhythm. But now, I, I mean, I, I had the BBC Wales commentary on, on the iFollow feed and they were very impressed with him, kept comparing him to Jack Grealish and, and things like that. We haven't, we didn't see in that first season, albeit he was a younger man and he was coming off the back of a loan spell and things like that. We didn't see him playing like this in the championship and able to dominate teams in, in such an impressive way. No, but I think it's, I mean, that was his literally his breakthrough because he'd, he'd been away and like an Aaron's or a Lewis and, and had to go and prove himself with Fortuna Sittard in, in Holland. And I think he was, it was still probably in his own mind, he didn't feel that he was a bit more than just on the periphery of that squad. Whereas here, I think he clearly feels after the back of that Premier League season, which more often than not, uh, he was one of the better performers, I think, over the entire piece, albeit it ended in disappointment for the team. But um, he now clearly sees himself as one of the main men here and, and that shows that maturity stamped through his performances, how he carries himself on the pitch. Um, Daniel, just to add to what Connor said, I wouldn't add anything more other than to say Daniel Farber said, was asked after the game, has he taken his game to another level? And Daniel said both him, Todd, sorry, Todd, Emmy and Max, they need to do it over a consistent period of time. And, and, and I think the inference there was that it's not enough to be talking about has he gone to another level based on one performance or even you know one or two months worth of performance if we, if we see that level that we saw at Cardiff between now and the end of the season then I think you can justifiably say yeah he probably has because for Daniel as he always says quality is defined over 
consistency over a long period of time. And um, at the minute, there's positive signs, but obviously we've seen positive signs from Todd before and then he's tailed away and whether that's been the, the focus and, uh, and the dis- distractions from what happened in the summer or other things going on. But ultimately, he, he, he needs to realise what is important and that's what he produces on the pitch and everything else will flow from that in the same way. And he's, he often cites how James Madison was a, was a big role model for him. Madison just did his talking on the pitch that season, notably in the championship for Norwich, got his move. And now look at him, you know, scoring goals, been in the England squad, um, linked with the likes of Manchester United, one of England's best young players. And that all comes off the back of what he was doing on the pitch uh, on a consistent basis. So, Todd needs to look no further than Madison. Just model yourself on that man and uh, you've got the talent and we're seeing the maturity in his game. And if you can maintain that, then whether it's Norwich or, or anybody else, he will be in the Premier League before long. No doubt about it. Right, let's move attentions on to the transfer window then. Uh, Norwich still yet to uh, make a signing, but um, as we'll come on to in just a second, may not be too far away from uh, from breaking their duck. Um, it's There's been plenty of bits and pieces going on this week. We've heard from Moritz Leitner, haven't we, who's you know put his head above the parapet basically and, and got his name out there, confirmed that his agent is looking at various things and um, Dermish the same we've seen, haven't we, that he's been doing various interviews. So hopefully it would be nice if they can, even if it's only a temporary solution, get those two out and playing football again, because that's that's the best thing for all parties involved. Uh, we had Jose Mourinho confirming that they wouldn't look to recall Skip this month and that he's really pleased with the way that the loan's been going at Norwich. Um, Skip has also done an interview with one of the Nationals uh, talking about um, how pleased he's been with, with the way things have been uh, developing. Um, but yes, uh, Pat, if I come back to you, on Demetrius Janoulis, uh, the Greek left back. Um, I think I've got all right with the pronunciation all right there, haven't I? And um, yeah, it doesn't seem like this one is, is too far away. I think you'll find it's Janoulis, uh, Dave. And we only know that because we had this on Friday and we had a Greek, was it a Greek native speaker? Put us right, Connor, I think. Yeah, on our Friday show. You, they were um, they were lauding Pad's uh, pronunciation of it. Mine uh, not. No, there you right. go. Apparently the GIA is it's pronounced Y, but uh, that's about the end of my linguistic skills, so I won't be telling anybody how to pronounce anything. But um, yeah, it looks positive, mate. Yeah, um, where are we as we record this pod? He's basically in England. He arrived in in England and then travelled to Norfolk Friday, um, which basically at that point the, the, the deal is in place. Both the clubs and the player and his representatives are happy. Um, obviously, you know. The figures that are getting bandied about there, it's we're led to believe it's a bit lower end of the scale. I've seen everything from a loan fee. Obviously, the deal as it stands is a loan for the rest of the season. And then completely dependent on whether Norwich get promoted, he will sign on a permanent basis. Now, anything from five hundred to eight hundred thousand euro for the loan fee, and then seven to eight and a half million I've seen for the for the total package. I think it's probably the lower end of that scale. Um, reports in Greece is a four and a half year deal on the table for the player. Um, drastically improving his salary, €300,000. He's been quoted that he's on over there. So he's definitely going to be uh, banking a few more quid in in terms of salary. And basically, to recap, yeah, he's, he's in the building. Um, led to believe his medical uh, was Saturday, yesterday, as we record. Um, and then now the backdrop, of course, is the pandemic situation. And basically, the 
rules as it stands in terms of nationals coming into the UK um, is that they basically have to self-isolate for a period of 10 days. But apparently if after five days they get a positive, they take a test and it's negative, corona negative test, that cuts the self-isolation period. So essentially, he's been, you can work it out, he's been here since Friday. That means Tuesday he could probably have another, he could probably have another test. He'll have had a test before he got here, obviously. Um, and I'm, I'm led to believe somebody told me on social, I haven't checked out, but he actually had the virus in October. So whether that means he's already got the antibodies anyway, um, my phone going off. I don't think it's Dimitri Yanoulis, but you never know. <laughs> Sorry, close that. Unprofessional. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an epidemiologist, but if he's already had the the, the virus, and uh, then he's probably got the antibodies. So you would think that that should be a formality that you test negative, and and then if that is the case, Tuesday, Wednesday, they can probably press the button on it in terms of confirming it, because obviously while he's in isolation, he's allowed to go and do the medical aspects. But as we know, there's a whole other suite of things that go around getting a deal finalised administratively. Um, so I think it's probably lending itself to maybe an announcement middle of the week, which I would suggest that allied to the fact he won't be able to train with his new teammates until Wednesday onwards, given the five days of isolation. I think that probably means we won't see him for Bristol. But um, Barnsley in the FA Cup, fourth round, who knows if he's had half a week to train. Um, Quintilla might still be out. He's obviously self-isolating. Um, led to believe he is showing a few symptoms, a little bit like Tim Krull. Apparently, Barley Mumba isn't showing any symptoms, but but obviously has returned a positive test, so he's asymptomatic. Um, so, no, that might be an ideal opportunity. You know, ease him in nice and gently. FA Cup, yes, they want to progress, but it's not the end of the world if they don't. Um, and ultimately, if, if between now and the middle of the week, there's no... 11th hour hitches, then uh, Dimitri, Dimitris Yanoulis will be Norwich's new left-back and um, what a signing he looks and testament to the deal that Weber's put in place. You know, the the ability to put this deal in place to the extent where if they go up, and they all hope they go up, then, you know, 7 million euro doesn't look a huge amount for a 25-year-old who's played 11 times for Greece, played in the Champions League, the Europa League this season. Um, but if they don't go up, heaven forbid, then, then the deal... The deal ends there and he goes back to Pauk. But what, what has happened is he's had six months in the shop window in England. And I'm sure if he if he proves himself in that period and Norwich didn't go up, then there'd probably be other suitors. So it's a win-win for all parties, I think. Um, and he was out of contract in 2022. So, you know, maybe people thinking even in a pandemic market, why is he relatively cheap given his pedigree? I think it's probably a reflection of his contract terms that essentially this is the last window. Pauk can really get a decent fee for him because... You know, obviously in the summer, he's, he's entering the final 12 months. He could sit tight and then go on a free. Um, so all in all, it's, it's a hat tip to Weber. Yeah, again, uh, this looks like an inspired bit of business, both in terms of his footballing pedigree and what he should add to Daniel Farker's squad, but also in terms of the financials around the deal. Um, and you only have to look, the final thing I'll say, is you only have to look at some of the clubs who've been linked to him. I've seen everything from Monaco, Oporto, um, Newcastle, had a look. You know, some high quality clubs around Europe and it looks like it's Norwich you've nipped in and managed to get this deal done. So credit to them. Yeah, that, that sort of a deal, obviously, we've seen with Ben Gibson and Kintyre, haven't we? I mean, I think Gibson was £8 million to make it permanent if they went up, wasn't it? And which Norwich fan wouldn't pay that at the moment? He, he definitely looks worth that money and looks somebody who could be very much an asset if they are in the Premier League next year. Uh, but Connor, with Janoulis, Daniel Farker did talk about what that meant for Javi Kintyre, didn't he? And, you know, certainly didn't suggest that it was the end of Kintyre's chance with Norwich or anything. It, it, it's that, that they want 
two left bats to compete there because you know Sorensen has been persevering for for as long as he can. Um, but yeah, if he does get his opportunity to play at Barnsley, if he you know he's through the door and he's clear to play and things like that, if he could lay down a marker there, then you're going to be a bit worried if you can tear, aren't you? Well, this is it. You've essentially got two left backs playing for their future at the club, haven't you? Which is um, in in terms of competition and in terms of extracting um, performances out of them is is really positive and, and kind of what they needed. And and, and with Quintier as well, um, clearly there's quality there. I think we've we've seen that certainly probably more from an attacking sense. I think there's probably more question marks around him as a defender. Um, it's just his his fitness and, and maybe the the load that they've tried to put on him that, that maybe hasn't excelled um, or, or put, been able to push through on a consistent basis and that that is kind of a, a factor that you don't know until a player arrives in England and is playing every week. So um, it, it's difficult to say Quintier has been a, a, a bad bit of business or whatever because I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think there's been um, sort of mitigating factors within that, but in terms of having two left backs. Both of whom have, uh, have obviously played in in Europe before. Quintier was was playing in La Liga. Um, Yanulis has, has been playing in in the Europa League. So in terms of pedigree, you've got two really good options there for Championship level. And um, and, and yeah, I don't necessarily think it means the end of Quintier at all. I think what they're maybe asking him to do is raise his level and prove why he should be the one that gets that option activated and um, why he should reach that threshold that he needs to get to in terms of the options. So it's. Um, it's going to be a fascinating battle for the second half of the season, I think, because you've got two, um, what looks like two very talented defenders. Obviously, we haven't seen the lad play yet, but um, I, I spoke to to someone I know who, who works with football clubs in data who said that he's he's a very good player, very sim- or more similar perhaps to, to a Jamal Lewis than a than Xavi Quintier and, and how he uses his physicality. So um, certainly that that maybe lends itself more to maybe what Daniel Farker looks for in a left back and what Norwich City looks for in a left back rather than maybe Quintia who likes to cross from deep and, uh, and and whatnot. So intriguing, an intriguing subplot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating battle, particularly if, uh, as, as we've mapped out, Yanulis gets a, gets a go in, in the FA Cup next Saturday and he's been playing regularly in, in Greece, hasn't he? I think he played uh, last Sunday or Wednesday, maybe. Uh, um, uh, so he, he's been playing regularly and fairly recently. So fitness-wise, it shouldn't be an issue. It'll just be about how quickly he can adapt to his new surroundings and, and, and to his teammates. Yeah, Norwich do have a Greek scout as well, don't they? And Mariella Nisataki, um, who's a nice lady who I interviewed, uh, when was that? During the second lockdown, maybe? I can't, can't remember when it was. Last year was a little bit of a blur, but she she was very interesting to interview previously at Swansea and things like that. So she's clearly going to have good contacts in Greece, isn't she? So um, that's, uh, that's a promising situation. We'll see how that one evolves. Um, if I bounce back to you, Connor, on... Uh, Oyan Nyland, the uh, former Villa keeper. This one's been rumbling on for, for a little while now, hasn't it? And it seems uh, it seems Norwich are definitely having a, having a real good look at him, doesn't it? Yeah, well, to, to the point that, that they've held talks with his representatives, but I, I think maybe they've gone away from that. And, and I, I know that there's some concerns over his fitness levels and whether he'd be able to come in straight away and make an impact. And you think the situation they're in, particularly at the moment with Crawl out, and we don't know where he's, he's going to be for Bristol City. I think they, they want someone who, who is fit enough to, to step in. So I think maybe they've they've gone back to their, what is um, apparently a very long list of, of options um, and, and maybe assessing it. But that that's not to say they, they won't come back to, to Nyland if they don't find a suitable replacement. But yeah, for now, it seems like they've maybe moved on. But uh, yeah, he's certainly a player that they they were interested in. They, they had a go at and, and sort of inquired about. Um, 
he, he had an operation in November, didn't he? And um, a, a, a sort of a, 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 I did see it described in in an interview. He did I think it was like a, a slip disc that infected one of his nerves, and so he had pains down his legs and in his foot. And it was, I mean, it wasn't a small operation; it was fairly major. And um, we had some quotes from him, didn't we, saying that he'd effectively like to be a second choice to for the rest of the season to get his fitness back up. And for what Norwich City need, they probably need someone a bit more dependable uh, and, and someone a bit more ready than that. So, um, yeah, I think they might have gone back to their list, but that's not to say that it's completely dead in the water because I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, that's that's the last remaining iron in the fire, really, isn't it, Pad, at the moment, the, the goalkeeper situation. But I think that, you know, there's no panic over it because we have seen that if, if need be, Barden is clearly capable of of doing a job. Um, you know, he's a young man. He will probably have setbacks at some point along along the way. He, he's a goalkeeper, after all. You you have to deal with uh, mistakes as a goalkeeper, don't you? But um, it's just it's just Cruel's injury situation that means you want that added bit of experience there, really, as well, isn't it? It is, but but the pool is very slim in terms of the options that they could bring in. Overlaying, of course, the new sort of Brexit regulations and the work permit aspect of it as well. So. I think Daniel Barden now is probably positioning himself as for this six-month period. Probably you could go with him as your number two, but it hinges a lot on Tim Krull for me. If Tim Krull comes back in in a couple of days and, and is able to, you know, put the the whole episode about the coronavirus test and the symptoms more more than the test result um, behind him, and, and is able to to physically uh, get back to being Norwich's number one, then from Bristol onwards, then you go with him and you go with Barden on the bench. I, I don't really see. A compelling case then, bearing in mind the pool is so slim. I mean, as you're looking at players like Robbie Elliott, Ben Anik, those type of characters, um, domestic options maybe, uh, if you don't go down an island route. That, that's really a testament to Dan Barden in the last two games that, that Daniel Farker said after the Coventry game, well, we don't have to panic now because he's shown he could step up and, and in that environment show he's, he's, he's able to, to be you know, a reasonable replacement. And we saw more evidence at Cardiff as well and probably a more testing game for him, particularly when Kiefer Moore came on. And, you know, it was a bit of an Alamo job going on there aerially. Um, so I, I I would imagine now that that's given them even more confidence that subject to Tim Krull being able to take, reclaim his place uh, from Wednesday onwards, then you don't really need to panic too much. You don't, you certainly don't need to flap about and think, Barden's not ready now. Um, we can't count on him and Tim Krull. Well, we're not sure. Obviously, we've got the issue of the corona. Prior to that, you know, he had that thigh problem and he was out for a considerable period of time in terms of the amount of games he missed. And, and who's to say, you know, two weeks from now, takes another kick in a game and his thigh goes again. You know, the, this this is the, the tightrope they're walking a little bit. So I think they'd still like to do one. But, um, you know, if you've got two very capable keepers and not a huge amount of options in the market, you know, I wouldn't be surprised now if they get to the end of January and they just go with those two because, uh, and that's a testament to Dan Barden that, you know, if called upon, he's able to step in and do a very decent job. Uh, not ready, obviously. He's only a young man. You can't you can't say he, he could really viably compete for the number one right here, right now. But I think on a shorter term basis, he certainly seems capable. He's only got the temperament and the composure to handle anything that might be thrown at him over the next few weeks and months. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, that, how, they, how they play it. But I... I think it's in light of what we've seen from Barden in these two games, it's a far less fraught situation than it was when McGovern was ruled out for months, Tim Krull then test positive, and you've got a 19, just turned 20 year old who 12 months ago was playing in the Isthmian Premier Division North for, for, for Berry Town, you know. So, 
yeah, a bit more relaxed, but still, I'm looking at the calendar. We've still got 13 days or so left in the window. They'll still be looking. And, and if they find an option, it wouldn't surprise me if they go and do it because, you know, it, as, as we're discussing with the left-back area, you need that in, extra insurance. You can't really take a chance, particularly as we get into the defining stage of the season. It's not like now, between now and the end of the season, there's another window and they can go again, which was a situation back in the summer when we were talking about the centre-backs or the left-backs that, OK, we can go with it because we know we can do something in January. That option is not available to them once we reach February. So for that reason, I think they'll still be, as Daniel says, awake. But um, but again, I, I can see both scenarios playing out quite easily now. That They, they go with Barden and Krull or they decide eventually, no, we probably do need the extra insurance and we'll bring a third one in. But what I would say is if they bring a third one in, um, then they're probably competing with Barden for the number two spot. That's That's the way I would see it. Bearing in mind, if it's going to be a, a free agent option who hasn't played a lot of football recently, do you go with somebody of that nature? Or do you now say our culture is based on backing young players and, and giving them an opportunity? And if they grasp it, we get behind them. Well, at the moment, Dan Barden's done that. So so why would you turn away from him? So I think he very much now has positioned himself firmly as, as the number two for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. Uh, McGovern as well. Apparently, there's a one-year deal on the table if he wants it, isn't it? Depending on his recovery from his surgery and things like that. So we'll see how that evolves. But I, th I think the big thing for Barden really is that um, he's now got a sort of showreel that, it, it, you know, in an ideal world, Norwich go out to the Premier League. We all know Tim Krull's going to be number one. But whether it's this month or the summer, they will bring in some kind of strong competition for him because we saw that with Ralph Fairman last time around and it worked, didn't it? And you will, of course, need need a, a good number two, someone as good competition and cover for Krull. But what Barden has done in the last few weeks and so far this season um, the, the BBC Wales commentators were saying that the, um, I can't remember who it was, but one of the Wales coaches was there to watch him. And, you know, it seems very likely he'll be in their under 21 squad uh, when they next play, just, just based on what he's done already. But you would have thought he's probably got enough now to go and get a decent League One loan move next season, or maybe even lower championship if Norwich are in the Premier League. So in, in the long term, given that he's still a very young man, particularly in keeper terms, this could well be the little stage which, which sets up the rest of his career. And, and long term, maybe gives him the chance of, of one day having a shot of being an Norwich number one. But clearly he's got um, a lot of work to do between now and then. Um, but I think that's just about everything wrapped up for this week. Um, that's the, the game reviewed in full. Um, Monday's Pinken in print and online, of course, for, for all you should want. Paddy's verdict, six things, player watch. All the usual packing. Then Tuesday, we'll start turning attentions with the press conference ahead of the Barnsley game. And Wednesday night, we'll be at Carrow Road to bring you all of the usual uh, match analysis and reaction. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Norwich in a great position. Um, with everything that's going on in the world, we can, all of us in Norwich circles, can be uh, just that little bit relieved that the football is at least providing some smiles and a, and a bit of relief for us all. Um, while we persevere with the pandemic. Thanks very much for listening and we will see you on Wednesday night. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.